San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchi, your co-host, announcer, and producer. Coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760 KFMB, you can hear the show on any device as it airs. And we are free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. And all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. And now this is the time I usually introduce the main man of the hour, Richard Musio, who is a CPA extraordinaire and a family office expert advising several high net worth families, an accomplished marathon runner, etc. However, he is vacationing in Hawaii with his family while we labor here in the studio. But we've got a fully packed show. This, uh, this uh, segment this week, or the show this week, is uh, put on entirely by the Berry Good Food Foundation. We had a great show a couple months ago about soil science. And we have the founder and the chief inspiration officer of the Very Good Foundation, Michelle Lirak, here to tell us about meaty issues and sustainable meat and what we're going to be talking about tonight with about, what, 10 guests, right, Michelle? Hi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I, I feel a little guilty stealing David Bronner's uh, title as chief inspirational officer, but uh, thanks for having us back. Sorry, I'm a little... Uh, horse today i'm trying to help myself out with some kombucha yeah wait, wait a minute david is the cosmic engagement oh officer. all right yeah. okay thank you thank you i knew it was close oh you know what ryland's the chief inspirational officer so <laughs> kiss the ground that's right i knew i'd heard it before all right here we're here talking about meaty issues and we're talking about um the impacts from from eating meat uh environmental human health animal welfare and ultimately technological or high-tech solutions to those kinds of issues. So this first segment, we're going to talk about the environment. Is meat friend or foe to the environment? Or mm -hmm. is it that simple at all? Vegan, vegetarian, or omnivore? Mm -hmm. I think we're first going to hear from Richard Oppenlander. Oh, sorry, you were going to introduce everybody. I'm getting ahead of you. Well, you know, I always okay. do steal hog the mic, don't I? Well, the great panel here, of course, Michelle Lyric here, founder of Berry Good Food Foundation, who has morphed into these wonderful panels. I, uh, the last one was, like I said, on soil science. Uh, on the phone, we have the CEO of Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps. He's uh, no stranger to our show as well, because Michelle's brought him up. David Bronner. David, how are you? David, are you? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Joe. Yeah, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Uh, and then also we have uh, in studio with us Dr. Richard Openlander. He's the founder and president of Inspire Awareness Now. He's the author of Food Choice and Sustainability and Comf Comfortably Awareness, uh, some excellent books on the topic. And he was featured in the documentary Cowspiracy. Richard, good evening. How are you? Fantastic. Good, good, Glad good. Glad to be here. Excellent. And also in this segment, we have Kyrie Hammerschlag. She's Senior Program Manager of Friends of the Earth. She's author of Meat Eater's Guide to Climate Change and Health and a contributing author to Food Tank and Civil Eats. And welcome to our show, Kyrie. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Excellent. So, Michelle, what do you want to focus on on this particular segment? This is more about the environment and meat, right? Yes. I'm sorry I jumped the gun a little bit. I was just ready to hear from our panelists. I'm so excited. So, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about meat and how does it affect the environment specifically? How does your choice to eat meat, not meat, how much meat, what kind of meat, what kind of protein, you know, what, what are these, do these choices have environmental implications? Mm -hmm. And if so, what are they? So we have different panelists with different perspectives. And we're going to hear from Richard first, I think, who's going to give a little overview of his position. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate it. Well, let's begin by saying that we're in overshoot mode, uh, demanding more of our planet than what it can supply. Here in the United States uh, and in some countries overseas, it would require four full Earths to uh, sustain what we're currently taking from and doing to our planet. 
uh, in fact, four and possibly five out of nine recognized tipping points or planetary boundaries related to our life support systems here on Earth have already been surpassed. Uh, the single factor most responsible for our collective state of unsustainability, our massive ecological footprint, uh, is not because of energy or fossil fuel use, but because of the choice of foods we make, mm -hmm. uh, so specifically animal products, the meat, dairy, and fishing industries, and their supportive agricultural systems. Uh, it's the largest resource guzzler that, that we have. Uh, certainly other industries contribute to this picture, but none have the comprehensive impact. So my emphasis is that the easiest, I feel, the easiest and quickest way to pull ourselves out of this irreversible state of, uh, that we're in of unsustainability in some cases and begin rejuvenation of our planet in the healthiest, uh, most peaceful and just manner mm -hmm. is by way of adopting an organically grown, whole, plant-based food diet today and because we're on very real timelines and the clock is ticking. And then this film, Cowspiracy, what was the general thrust of that film? You appeared in that. What, were they, what was the message they well, were that, trying to get across? Yeah, good question. That, that focused on the environment, but more so on what these certain conservation groups that we are paying most of our funding dollars to are not doing about this connection between food choice and the environment. Mm. And you have some uh, big names involved in, I guess, that film and some other ones, right? Uh, you were telling me about we, Leo we, DiCaprio? Or? We do, yeah. We are very fortunate to have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio come on board as an executive producer, as, very, as well as some other very, very important funders. Mm -hmm. And we have another uh, three or four very important documentary films that are going to be released in the next few months. One of them is going to be called Food Choices, mm -hmm. and uh, so I keep your eye on that one as well. So the, your book is Comfortably Unaware, and that is your website, right, if people want to get it, more information or know about you? It is. That was my first book. The second book is Food Choice and Sustainability, okay. and that's, uh, that covers it in more detail. But, okay. yeah, they can get a hold of us at comfortablyunaware.com. Okay. All right. Or, or just get on our website. We're going to have the, all these guests listed on our site, folks, at iymoney.com. Kari, what's your take on this uh, subject matter? Well, Richard's right. Um, you know, meat has a huge toll on the environment. And in the U.S., we're eating three times more meat than people around the, the world, 50% more than in Europe. And this meat consumption, America's large appetite for meat, is driving environmental destruction here and, and abroad. And primarily, you know, it takes just a huge amount of water, energy, resources to grow the feed. Mm -hmm. um, it also generates large amounts of greenhouse gas emissions, and it... Uh, generates mountains of toxic manure when you put animals together in, in confinement the way we do in this country. Um, a lot of factory farmed animals are fed a regular diet of GMO corn and soy, which have been sprayed with massive amounts of pesticide fertilizer that end up in our rivers, in our air, and in our bodies. And so if we um, want to, and not only that, but producing all the feed um, destroys the habitat for bees and butterflies. If you care about the bees, you should really think about your diet because when you, um, 150 million acres of land in this country is devoted to corn and soy hmm. for animals. Hmm. The rest of it is mostly for biofuels and junk food. Huh. And Did you want to comment on that? Uh, well, I uh, do. Richard? That's very good. I, I want to point out that we, we omitted, uh, we want to be talking about water as well. It's a massive, uh, in fact, all types of animal agriculture today use massive amounts of water. And that's another resource that we want to be very concerned about, especially here in California, uh, the, the water footprint of what's on your plate. Mm. And uh, one last thing is that I don't think we can exclude, we're not going to be talking about it much today, but we, we don't want to exclude fish from our oceans in terms yeah. of the dialogue at some point in time and when you're talking about meat or the animal agriculture. Stay that's tuned it. for fish. That's coming up in November. Yeah. So I, I do want to say something really quickly about water because it's, it's very important. In California, a quarter of all of our water resources irrigation is going to animal agriculture. Mm. 
And what people need to understand, this is a startling statistic, that by the year 2030, demand for food globally on current with current consumption of animal foods is going to be expected to be 40% greater than the available water resources that we have. Mm. So if we don't reduce our meat consumption, we are literally stealing from our grandkids. Okay, I want to get to David Bronner because he's been kind enough to be holding on the phone. David, what's your take on all this uh, uh, this topic? Yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, every point made. I mean, uh, you know, factory farmed animal agriculture is a disaster on the planet. Um, it's like a comet has hit the planet as far as, you know, the, the extinction event we're going through, the harm on ecosystems and non-target wildlife, um, I mean, it's, I mean, a lot of our activities are unsustainable, but certainly our agricultural system and um, confined animal uh, factory farming is, is uh, you know, one of the major drivers. Um, you know, and I'm personally vegan and very much, uh, you know, recommend that as the ideal diet to, um, you know, put us on a more sustainable course. But, I, you know, I also, you know, want to, you know, acknowledge that there are there are diets short of veganism where you eat, you know, a much lower level of meat, dairy, eggs, fish, and, um, and, you know, instead of animals fed grain from GMO fields, you have, you know, cattle are raised on grasslands and managed in a way that duplicates predator-prey interactions where herds were bunched together and through the landscape in a way and interact with the grasslands in a way that the grasslands and these ruminants co-evolved. That you know, that also is a sustainable diet. Now, the problem with that is that, of course, a burger looks like a burger. So, you know, people trying to adopt a regenerative diet or eat in accord with that ethos oftentimes have difficulty saying no to the capo burger that looks identical. Mm. So, um, you know, something I would recommend is that people adopt a vegan diet for 21 days. You know, just really understand how you can rock your life and live your life on a vegan diet. And then, if you choose to reintegrate or reintroduce, you know, meat, dairy, eggs, they could do so in a very careful way and understand that if it's not like at a very high level of sustainability and from farmers really practicing a high level of animal husbandry, that you can be vegan and just be vegan, just say no to bad meat. All right, Dan. Uh, well, we've only got yeah. a couple minutes, a couple seconds left, actually. Though I wanted to give uh, Richard, if he had one. Wait, quick I want to follow up with something that um, that he said, and it's this issue of grasslands. Um, I think it's, what is it, 30% of the earth is covered with grasslands, and grasslands, but he was making the point that these ruminant animals did evolve with, along with the grasslands in these areas, and they have a role to play, and, and I know, Carrie, that was something we talked about earlier. Sorry to cut you off, Richard, but I wondered if you want to follow up with that, and then we'll end with Richard, if that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think, about 30 it, seconds. okay, it is really important to say that well-managed pastures can sink large amounts of carbon, and the animal manure becomes a potent source of nutrients for the soil, which... Also, in, in mixed crop livestock systems, they can be very sustainable. Um, and that's the kind of meat that people should be eating. We're not going to all turn vegan tomorrow. We need to think about better meat, and we always advocate less and better. Okay. A final comment, Richard? Do uh, uh, you have anything to say? Uh, yeah, exactly. The only thing I'd, I'd like to encourage uh, listeners is to write, uh, go about their, uh, their journey in as uh, informed a way as possible. And also, when you, when you are looking at various meat uh, uh, alternatives, then at least look at the full spectrum of resource uh, Absolutely. involvement. And we'll have more of those. we got to take our little break, though, right now. But thank you to Di David Bronner from Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps, Dr. Richard Openlander, and Kyrie Hammerschlag. We'll be back with Michelle Lyric and myself right after this. Hang on. We are back with Michelle Lirak, the Very Good Food Foundation, talking about media issues. That was a great selection there, Justin Bonanza. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, Michelle, uh, at the break, you said you had uh, you want to make some comments uh, in this. Segment. We know I always have to end. You know, I, I have to have the last word. Something about no, fi films, right? I wanted to say there's also a film coming out in 2017 called Kiss the Ground, a documentary film mm. that looks at what David Bronner was talking about, which is regenerative agriculture. And mm -hmm. it actually talks about the role that ruminant animals can play in terms of grassland restoration and also in soil sequestration. So... Um, I think, you know, that, that like with most things, there are many sides to a story, and I think you can hear a little bit more about the role of animals in a positive light um, in that film that will come out next year. Well, so watch for it. It's all one big web, right? The <laughs> bees, the soil, the plants, the animals, it's all, uh, it's all related, right? Yeah, sometimes we humans forget that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard for us. But Michelle gets these wonderful guests from all over the country to come to her panels and do these shows. And we have two more in this segment. One is a vegan chef all the way from Los Angeles. And she's a, a healthy living educator and an author and media personality. Her name is Leslie Durso. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming down here. Of and, course. Uh, and also with her on this segment, we have the executive VP and um, certified nutrition specialist, um, board member of the American College of Nutrition, and a contributing author to Obesity, Epidemiology, pathophy Pathophysiology, how is that, and Prevention. And her name is Corinne Bush, who's a nurse, I think, right? Or, oh, no, I'm no, a clinical nutritionist. Oh, clinical nutritionist. Yeah. Great boy, to be here. Boy, Michelle, hats off to you. I don't know where you, you must do a lot of research. It's, it, I have a lot of webs and tentacles that appear. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. No, so. these are great. They're friends and friends of friends. And, yeah. you know, it's look, if we're going to talk about meat, we can't just talk about the environmental impact. We have to talk about human health. The health impact. Uh, how yeah. much meat? What kind of meat? Is all meat the same? Meat or no meat? These are the questions again. Yeah. And from the human health perspective, we have two very uh, thoughtful and informed voices and I'm mm -hmm. happy to have them and their voices actually sound a lot better than mine today. <laughs> <laughs> well, well Michelle just flew in from Kentucky recently and uh and air conditioning and different change of environments etc and so I know it's taking a little toll on your uh, on your vocal cords but in any case this segment you wanted to focus on the human health aspect so let's let's start with Leslie uh, should we be eating meat at all? Uh it does not work for me. I stopped eating meat when I was eight years old, and mm. I believe that it's a personal choice to decide whether or not it's right for you. Uh, but I really encourage people to weigh all of the options. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I talk to people about listening to their bodies, listening to their bodies when they eat something because mm -hmm. your body speaks to you. So it's about what works for you and your system, getting your blood taken and your, your blood analyzed on a regular basis. And mm -hmm. um Going from that perspective, but my my job as a vegan chef is not to make the best vegan food for the vegan community. My job as a vegan chef is to make the best food out there. Period. Mm. It's about giving people when they have the option between meat and vegetables to choose the vegetables because they simply taste better. And I can definitely attest to her skills in that regard. Aww. I've been lucky enough to eat her food on more than one occasion. It is amazing. Thank <laughs> you, darling. But it's really about eating. Uh, for me and my philosophy that I teach people is about eliminating most of, if not all, of the meat in your diet because everybody's eating a little bit too much of it. Mm -hmm. Replacing that with whole fruits and vegetables and grains, um, and eating as little processed food as possible and really taking care of your body and taking responsibility for your health mm. that reminds well, me of the chart that we saw earlier corinne uh, we were looking at various pie charts with numbers you know there's one for every position but there was one that showed there are a lot of them that show how much meat people eat how much vegetables fruit grains but there was a chart of the u.s diet that was particularly troubling there was this big 
biggest wedge was 66%, and it was none of the above. It was processed foods. Mm -hmm. And then there were little tiny slivers of fruit, vegetable, and grains, and a little bit of meat. I mean, that is the biggest problem. But, you know, uh, we really do have to pay attention to what it is we're putting in our body. It's but the if fuel we, that makes us run. But if we do choose to eat meat, I mean, there's probably healthier, healthy meat options versus non-healthy meat. I mean, I don't, I don't go to the fast food restaurants, but I, I do have my bacon from a, you know it's smoked from a particular store here i know there's no there's no chemicals in it and etc and um well you actually you know. don't unless you <laughs> unless you've taken that animal's life yourself and you've raised it yourself you actually don't know for sure mm. the regulations in this country i believe are not nearly as strong as they should be so you actually don't unless you actually meet know meat. your Which, rancher yes that's but, what i was going but to corinne i want to hear you know your, your take if on if you meat. know your family <laughs> farm that you that you source your meat and you you feel very comfortable with their practices then i think that's one way to know mm -hmm. but i do agree with you leslie that um the average american eats too much meat but meat can be a really healthy component of, of people's diets if it's sourced properly. Mm -hmm. Because before we even take a bite, that first bite, there are so many toxins and uh, constituents that find their way into the human ecosystem from improper farming practices. Even right? in the store when it says grass-fed beef, I mean, when you have that special segment where you're paying a little extra for it, you, you still think that may not be uh, totally healthy or... Well, unless you know the I cow, believe, you have yeah. to know the cow. And <laughs> well, it, it's it's best to know where your cow comes from and to feel really comfortable with the the farm's practices. But grass-fed, uh, fully grass-fed, 100% organic meat is just uh, the only choice. It's the one percent of beef in America, but it's really the the the, the one that we should be sourcing. Mm -hmm. And you talked about something earlier on when we spoke on the telephone about some difference in terms of the chemical composition between that pasture-raised animal and a CAFO, the concentrated animal feeding operations. It's, it's a word I could barely pronounce, but it had to do with sort of the stress levels and oh, the yeah. impact on the body. Yeah, so this is a really interesting concept called xenohormesis. And there we so go. Someone, you could yeah. say that, Joe. Mm. <laughs> right, so xeno in Greek means stranger, and it's the strange signaling that happens within the animal's flesh. So... These compounds are integrated, whether they're from pesticides, antibiotics, uh, the sum total of that stressed animal's life that then is integrated into the flesh of, and the systems of the humans that eat it. And so it's these scrambled signals that we're getting. And the research is very new on this, but it's going to be really interesting as we, as we understand. It, just, it makes so much sense that that would be the case. And there's been some studies that I've, I've seen that I could... But share later. From a human yeah. development standpoint, I mean, we're not the only animals that eat other animals, right? I mean, most, a lot of animals do eat other animals. You know so. that remark about the canines, and I mean, humans have canines, and we're supposed to be tearing the flesh of animals. We actually don't. Uh, animals that tear the flesh of other animals, canines are actually attached in their nasal cavities into their skulls. Ours are not. You mean so our, our canine teeth we're talking our about? Our canine right? teeth. Yeah. Yes. So. Well, I'm just saying, you know, but you know what puzzles me? I guess apes and gorillas are vegetarian. And look how. They're vegans. They're, look how strong they are. And horses, you know. So, you know. And cows. I wanted to follow up on something <laughs> else. <laughs> Sorry. Lions, lions, Sorry, Joe. Uh, well, I'm just saying. Corinne just re raised it's, it's something about the antibiotic use and antibiotic. You didn't say antibiotic resistance, but that's sort of the follow up to the antibiotic use that is pretty uh, prevalent in the concentrated animal uh, conventional uh, ranching. 
well, I guess I'm not even ranching, it's sort of concentration camps for animals. Okay, so tell me what you know about that. Tell me what, what about that. What is, what's, the, what's the problem with the antibiotic use in terms of mm, the animals yeah. and, and human health? Right, so, well, antibiotic resistance is the ability of pathogenic organisms, pathogenic bacteria, to actually morph through various, for, various ways into forms that are impervious to the drugs that we've developed to treat them. And that is a huge problem. So um, the most recent evidence I found on that was 2011, where we had 2 million cases of antibiotic resistance in America, resulting in 23,000-plus deaths. So this is a problem that if we look at the extrapolation of this data into, in, and this is five years old, we're being faced with an onslaught of E. coli, like E. coli 157, we've heard that in the news, MRSA, which is methicillin-resistant, Staph aureus, C. difficile, Salmonella. So all these um, very, very virulent pathogens that we have no drugs to treat. And where are they coming from? Well, when we think about the fact that 70% of the antibiotics in America are fed to our animals, and then they, they make their way into the animal, it's on the meat, it's in the excretions of the animals, which are then spread as quote-unquote fertilizer onto our crops. And so in the case a, a few years ago of E. coli 0157, that was uh, a spinach crop. And so it was the output of these poisons that are being spread as fertilizer, which is really, really concerning to me. Hmm. And this is a big issue because we really don't have any antibiotic um, R&D in the pipeline right now. We're, we're very much behind. We're at the tip of the iceberg of this problem, and, and I think that's right. What, what I've read is consistent with what you said, that this really does seem to be coming in large part from these concentrated animal feedlots, and, you know, we have to start paying attention. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Not a problem. Anyway, we're coming up on our break right now, but thank you to Corinne Bush with the American College of Nutrition, Leslie Dursel, vegan chef, and I'll be back with Michelle Lerack right after these words. We're back with the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and this is the time where we like to thank our sponsors. First off, UBS, Drew Friedis and Michael Caranta and their great award-winning team of handling wealth management over there. Citadel Analytics and Jason Kruger, they provide great CFO services and CPA services for many great clients around the country. They now have uh, seven offices in four states. Polito Epic, uh, they're up in their sharp new offices, the best CPAs on the planet up in San Marcos there. Carl Sheeler and, in, um, excuse me, Kurt Gotro and, and Joel Greshkin in the cost segregation initiatives that are helping real estate owners improve their cash flow all the time, all over the country. The law office of Brenda Geiger, tops in their fields on asset protection and estate planning. And Lane Elliott and Sean Puckett with California Republic Bank, uh, serving wealthy families and family offices uh, in the area. Really great bankers, and uh, we thank them. Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance, and Neil Steely and his group, they're best in the business in the areas of employment benefits. The Lombardi Group, who connect CPAs and attorneys throughout the U.S. with their great educational uh, events, and they feature uh, pr proven wealth advisors at all of their, all their events. Paul Hines and Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, uh, he also heads up Senior Safe and Sound, and their mission is to help uh, identify and eradicate elder abuse, uh, especially involving financial scams. And Nathan Watkins with uh, Worldwide Financial, one of the best mortgage bankers in town. 
and Lestad's Coffee House soon to open their third location. They're serving great drinks and and uh, and food uh, 24 hours a day. And last but not least, the Berry Good Food Foundation, uh, who has on our on our show, I, I guess about four times a year now, with great topics, including tonight with meaty issues. And back over to Michelle. Um, you want me to introduce a guest, or I guess yeah, how about it? Okay. Well, in this segment, we were going to focus on, um, let's see. Animal welfare. Animal welfare. So in studio, we have Dr. Aaron Gross. He's founder and CEO of Farm 4. He's also a professor of theology over at University of San Diego, which is the alma mater of Richard Musio, who's in Hawaii right now. And he also wrote a book called The Question of Animal and Religion, Theoretical Stakes and Practical Implications. And then along with him, we have Kyra Wentworth. She's a Ph.D. candidate from UC. No, she's a doctor. Excuse me. Oh, you're not a candidate anymore. Last no. time. Not anymore. Congratulations. This week. Oh, Thank you. This yeah. week. Well, my doctor, Kara Wentworth. That's right. University of California, San Diego, Politics of Inequality and Food Systems. She's a researcher in urban soil testing and agriculture, an anthropologist documenting community garden soil mapping and, and small slaughterhouses. So you did a lot of research in that in that field. And then on the phone, we have a bona fide farmer in San Diego. He's the owner of Taj Farms and Valley Center. He's a farmer, rancher, cheesemaker, a food activist, and he's a very good food uh, academy teacher. He's Jack Ford. Jack, can you hear us? I can. Wonderful. Howdy. Good. We can hear you as well. So, Michelle, where is the focus of this segment, and who do you want to start with? Let's see. Well, look, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the impact of meat on the environment, on human health. But, you know, as we talk about the differences between pasture-raised animals and CAFO, these concentrated animal feedlots, um, we need to talk about the welfare of the animal because we don't want to leave that out of the equation. So mm. um, I think, how about we let Jack start? Let's, have, let's, let's hear your take on this, Jack, as a rancher. How do you feel about animal welfare? We need a lot more of it. There is truly a disconnect um, with consumers on where their food comes from whether it is um, an animal or a tomato. And um, the life it lived or the life of the people that, uh, you know, took the time and care to grow it. Uh, you know, it is, uh, we are, our DNA is all connected on this planet. It's no coincidence that when we uh, breathe out, that trees breathe in and that every living thing deserves the quality of life and the quality of death. And then uh, large-scale, uh, you know, big agribusiness, feedlots, et cetera, um, that does not happen. And, you know, th we had a lot of um, news and legislature passed a couple of years ago regarding um, egg ranchers. And, it, you know, a chicken, um, does a chicken think no, but can it suffer? Absolutely. And just the quality of that. We People have to better understand uh labeling and the portals in which the government gives uh, agribusiness uh, and uh, a lot of freedom on what they call natural or pasture, et cetera. You know, most, uh, you know, grass-fed beef can be finished in a feedlot for 90 days. Mm. It's uh, There's a lot of uh, um, craziness with labels and understanding it. You just even in the last year, the with yogurt, the all-natural, and, you, you know, you read it and there's 15 ingredients. You know, if it was all-natural, it would be milk and probiotics. Mm -hmm. um, it wouldn't have, you know, seven ingredients that you can't pronounce. Mm, true. 
Uh, yeah, well, we, yeah, you missed us on the last segment, but we said, I think our answer was, you know, know your farmer, know your rancher first. And then after that, right. I think, you know, we, we should really talk about the difference between pasture-raised animals who had good lives and, and what these, uh, the, the large feedlots really consist of. What's your take on that, Aaron? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Jack's right. There's a huge difference between... Get right on top There's of a huge thing. difference between being, uh, you know, what we think we're getting on our products when we see an organic label or a free-range label, and what we're actually getting. And usually, the reality is, it's it's not what we it's not what we think. So, pastured is a great example in terms of applying it to chickens. Um, it's unregulated. So, if somebody is actually doing what I mean by pastured, the birds growing outside, it's running, it's jumping, it's flying, it can get up on a fence in a tree and do the things birds do. Uh, that's just not what pastured means on the label. Uh, mm. Someone can be doing ultimately anything with a chicken and call it pastured because it's not regulated. And this creates a huge challenge for uh, consumers on you know, a whole range of issues. We're just not getting the welfare we think we are. And so what is a consumer to do? Yeah, the, the, we have to be more educated. I mean, I think if you're going to buy animal products, you need to buy animal products that have an animal welfare certification. And there's a, a number out there. You can find one that fits your values. But really what we have to kind of understand is the dominant industry is treating animals badly. And if we're not actively looking you know, for farmers like Jack, for places that we have a way of identifying, either because we know the farmer or because it's a certification process, uh, you know, we're not going to get what we want. So at you know, Whole Foods, you can buy stuff that's global animal partnership rated. It's a one to five rated system with five is the best welfare, one is the worst. There's animal welfare approved, which is a very high welfare label you can look for on almost all kinds of animal products. There's certified humane on some products, which is not as high welfare as some of the other labels, but way better than what's out there as standard. So if you become an educated consumer, uh, and I'll direct people especially for chicken to uh, buyingpoultry.com as a place to kind of find that, you can hmm. figure out what it means. And then you can decide whether you want to eat it and, and what, what products are going to fit your values. And Jack, I cut you and, off. And, Sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something. And, and, and there's not a marketing template for this. It's education, as he was saying, that you know we are uh, volunteers on this planet, not victims. And we need to do a better job as citizens and communities. You know, if you look at the pet industry and the humanization of all these pets and what consumers spend, and that's been one of the fastest growing economies, you know, even during a recession on that, but then they disconnect when they go into a big box store and, and you know, pick up anything that's in a, a vacuum seal thing and throw it in their cart and take it home without any uh, knowledge of it. The it's, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, and we, it's just us individuals doing better and educating, and I, that's one thing that we've taken up with Very Good Food Foundation is really um, educating individuals and getting closer. Anytime you can get closer to the source is really important. Uh, you know, even with um, animal proteins, food miles are very important. Yeah. Um, Jack, and, wanted, and, and that in that template. Yeah, I wanted to get Kara in, involved here because she just got her dissert her PhD and her dissertation and uh, was on. Means I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of slaughterhouses and some of the research you've done, uh, what can sure. you tell us about where we've been and where we should be going? Yeah, so you know, Jack, you mentioned that we're disconnected, and I think that that's a point that all of us agree on here today, even though we have a lot of disagreements among this group, um, and that. 
ideally where we're headed will be towards more affection and more attachments, rooted attachments to to everything, to the animals, to soil, to water, to to the workers who are who are raising these animals, who are slaughtering these animals. And that's where I hope we're headed. Mm. Um, and then I'll also say just to, to stir the pot and add some complexity to all of it. I've seen organic animals come into a small slaughterhouse who have been cared for terribly. There, there are and there can be young farmers who don't have generational traditions of knowing what to do with pigs. Um, mm. Who and I saw all of those pigs condemned because they had worms throughout their intestines. That's mm. that's real. Um, mm. And and meanwhile, I did see uh, farmers who are using traditional agricultural, conventional farming methods with really with much happier and uh, better cared for animals. So it's complex, and ultimately, we end up trusting corporate accreditation and auditing systems. And as consumers. At this point, that's often what we have to do. But what I would encourage is, as po- as much as possible, try to make those connections. Um, if you can know who is raising the animal, who's slaughtering the animal, and who's cooking it, fantastic. But no. it's rare for us to have that. And in San Diego, I think we're making great strides because uh, we have 10,000 farms here, and a lot of uh, uh, those are farm animal farms, right? Uh, we have more farms per capita than anywhere yeah. in the nation, and we and a lot of them do raise animals as well, yeah. including Jack and many other uh, vegetable farms. But Jack, I don't know if you wanted to say one more thing well, to we, follow up on that. I mean, there, there's definitely a shift, and there's a change. And uh, I mean, and where we're at today is not where we're going to be at um, 10 years from now or 20 years just in the growing population of the planet yeah. and growing middle classes in, um, in India and China, we are going to have to start to share these luxuries of we, middle we class like, like, like me, beef. Yeah, but pardon me, we have to wrap it right there because we have another segment to get to. But thank you, Jack Sorry, Ford Jack. from Taj Farms and Dr. Aaron Gross and Dr. Kara Wentworth. And we'll be back with Michelle and myself right after this. Hang on. We are back with Michelle Lirac, Very Good Food Foundation, myself. And in this segment, we're going to focus on meat and the technology, interestingly enough, alternatives and such. And uh, in studio, we have Leslie Durso back again, the vegan chef that you know, and author and media personality. Uh, Dr. Uma Valetti, who's co-founder and CEO of Memphis Meats. He's a cardiologist by training, but he believes that meat is safe and sustainable. And he's an, a, a board member of New Harvest. And on the line, all the way from Washington, D.C., we have the executive director of the Good Food Institute, Bruce Friedrich. So anyway, welcome, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, and welcome, Uma. Pleasure to be here. And welcome to you, Leslie, again. Hi. So, Michelle, where did did you want to start with this illustrious panel? Well, you know, here we're really looking at some of the ways in which people are using technology to come up with um, solutions or or at least interesting takes on the meat-eating habit of, of, of Americans, and whether it's through meat alternatives, vegetable-based proteins, and I think Bruce and Leslie can both talk about that, and or uh, Uma's very unique product, which is, and I usually say my version of it, which is the non-scientific one, and I think he's going to give me a funny face, but he's basically making meat, real meat, in a laboratory using stem cells. And so that's sort of like an entirely new take on the subject, and so I thought it would be worthwhile to really hear some of what they're doing. So I think we're going to, I think we'll save Uma for last. Bruce, you want to ta- talk a little bit about some of the meat alternatives and, and what you know about? And your organization, sure. So, mm-hmm. and the Good Food Institute. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Right, the, the Good Food Institute exists to promote plant-based and cultured alternatives to animal agriculture. So, 
we are both very supportive of plant-based options like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, um, as well as cultured alternatives like Dr. Valetti's Memphis Meats, as well as cultured collagen from gelatin and cultured dairy and eggs from Mufri and Clara Foods, respectively. And we are very excited because people like Eric Schmidt, the chairperson of Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, just a couple of weeks ago when he was speaking at the Milken Global Conference, he was talking about technological changes that will improve life for humanity by a factor of at least tenfold, so by a thousand percent fairly soon. And the first thing that he talked about was food technology disrupting animal agriculture. And his focus was on the fact that animal agriculture is unsustainable, it is a primary contributor to climate change, and it is extraordinarily inefficient. So these plant-based companies, as well as the cultured companies like Memphis Meats, what they're doing is improving on meat by constructing products that either in the case of plant-based, they taste exactly the same, except that they're more efficient, contribute less to climate change, um, and are healthier. Or in the case of products like um, what Dr. Valetti is doing with Memphis Meats, it is a nature-identical product, but with far less um, adverse effect on the climate, um, significantly cleaner and safer, no antibiotics, no hormones. Uh, so when you've got people like Bill Gates talking about the issue, Lee Ka-shing um, talking about and investing in the issue, the richest guy in Asia, Sergey Brin putting a million dollars into these alternative technologies, really is extraordinarily hot in Silicon Valley. And to steal a little bit of uh, Dr. Valetti's thunder, just um, <laughs> two weeks ago, Fortune magazine named his company, Memphis Meats, the hottest tech in Silicon Valley. Wow. Well, let's just switch over because now, now, Uma, you were a cardiologist uh, at, before you got into this whole food business, right? In, right. What, what inspired you to switch gears like this? As a cardiologist as well as a medical doctor, I felt strongly that the current agricultural system we had could be improved significantly for human health, for, for the safety of our food, food security, animal health, as well as for the planet. Mm -hmm. And we started Memphis Meats because we want to make eating delicious meats safer and healthier for all of us, as well as the planet that we want to leave behind for our children. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget about how the current agricultural system has the confined animal operations set up. I think we could do significantly better and really not give up eating meat. So we feel like we are at this intersection of a strong and doubling demand for meat in the next 35 years with the 3 billion people that we'll be seeing on the planet. Mm -hmm as well as the intersection of the climate change that is in front of us that is real and true from the huge environmental impact of animal agriculture and also the impending crises or the crises that's already here with the health, with the, with the, with the uh, bacterial or fecal contamination of food, the confined animal operations that set up the stage for the large epidemics or pandemics that could wipe us out like mm -hmm. avian flu or swine flu. And, you know, we shouldn't be staring at this and not acting. And I think really um, what spurred us into action and our team is that we truly believe that we could make a significantly better product, just as delicious as what we grew up eating with, 
mm-hmm. but also better for all of us and gives us a chance to leave behind a healthier planet. So what kind of meat should I work? When can I get my first slab of bacon? <laughs> <laughs> of course. So... Uh, we are really I don't working. think his bacon's going to be, you know, as healthy as you'd like it to be. I mean, I don't mean that disparagingly about your product, but it's still bacon, right? Well, <laughs> anyway, but uh, here's some of the exciting yourself. things we're doing, right? So okay. we're working on pork, beef, and chicken products. And uh, some of the things that Americans love to eat are the hot dogs, the burgers, the meatballs, the sausages. And uh, if you can imagine the ones that taste exactly the same meat as we uh, are eating, but... There's never been an animal that's slaughtered, and therefore there's really no fecal contamination. Mm-hmm. And uh, it actually has favorable fat profiles that might improve your cardiovascular health. Now we're talking about possibilities of really putting meat on the table mm-hmm. and saying, go ahead and eat it. So mm-hmm. I think that's what excites all of us as a team. And you know, we're very thankful for you know, the Good Food Institute that's really been extremely, extremely helpful in educating us of the, of the future's uh, uh, potential of food and innovation. And uh, you know, uh, I would really encourage you uh, to talk to Bruce Frederick a little bit more because he's got lots of insights on this. Mm, interesting, interesting. So, Bruce, you're in Washington. You, uh, how is this getting? What's the receptivity in Congress about what uh, what you're doing? Um, well, it's, it's interesting. The receptivity in Congress is extraordinarily good, and it transcends um, political ideology. So. If you're talking about people um, on the Republican side of the aisle, there is just a general pro-innovation, pro-small business, um, pro-technology bent Mm -hmm. that wants to allow entrepreneurs like Dr. Valetti to get his product to market. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about the Democratic side of the aisle, then you've got people who are concerned about agricultural consolidation, They're concerned about food safety and some of the health problems that come with conventionally raised meat. They would like to see products that are more sustainable and safer and have less impact on climate change. So they're also excited about what Dr. Valetti is doing with Memphis Meats, as well as what the plant-based entrepreneurs like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and Hampton Creek and other such companies are doing. Hmm. And I will, I will say, for people who want to get more information about this topic and what they can do to help, we have a website. It's just gfi.org. So G for good, F for food, and I for institute, good food institute, gfi.org, with a lot more information about this topic. Correctly. And we're going to have... And I want to ask Leslie. We're gonna, we... and, we'll, and we'll have information about all our guests uh, on our website as well. As, in addition to the uh, beautiful panel that Michelle hosted at, uh, at last Tuesday night, at the, the Scripps N- Research Institute, yeah, which is available on UCTV. Exactly. Meaty issues. Now we have Leslie here, so we should and probably. Leslie, get some... I mean, Leslie's familiar with a lot of the plant based products that Bruce was talking about. I am. So I wondered if you wanted to say anything. I use all of them on a regular basis, and this is it. So I'm a vegan, and I'm a vegan chef. I believe in eating a whole food, plant based um, diet. Uh, that said, it's very difficult to get everyone. The idea of everyone in this world turning vegan tomorrow is probably not going to happen as much as I would love that. But what could happen is that all of these meats start to be substituted out. So I like to call these gateway foods. The plant-based ones I use a lot. I'm a big fan of all of their work that they're doing. I think that companies like Memphis Meats are really fantastic and solving the animal issue and not um, having as many animals die as the millions that do, uh, the billions that do every single year. Um, but I, I think it's a stepping stone in the right direction of health, and that's what's important. And it's really neat to have a bunch of meat eaters eat these 
plant-based substitutes and get excited about them just as excited as they are about eating regular meat. Hampton Creek, their egg substitute is fantastic. It's it's going into the school systems. It's going into institutions. Uh, and nobody knows the difference. If I give you a regular mayonnaise uh, made with eggs and a plant-based mayonnaise, I can tell you right now you're not going to be able to tell the difference between the two. So it's eliminating things like that to deal with the billions of chickens that are mm-hmm. being slaughtered every year um, for egg consumption. But, Leslie, you have to agree that if we can if we can grow meat in a sustainable way, I mean, there are some people that are not going to give it up. If they can find a safer meat to eat, they might like Look, Memphis Look, eat meat. less meat. Yeah. Um, choose, choose well. Choose sustainably produced meat and find alternatives as well all of the above do your homework your research so anyway thank you uh, uma valetti md and thank you leslie durso thank you bruce friedrich and washington good food institute and all the wonderful guests and especially michelle lirak who made this all possible very good food foundation and uh let's see we want to thank justin hart our sound uh, our board operator for making it sound terrific and you to can find this program <laughs> and the and the video from the larger panel on our website as yeah, well which is berrygoodfood.org so and look at all these podcasts are commercial free on iymoney.com thanks to dave sniff and and Craig Blanket came from me. Have a good week, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye now.